Uh, we have been in a summer sermon series called Under the Sun, and this is our last sermon in that series. Starting next week, we have a whole bunch of stuff going on. Starting next week, we go back to our school year schedule of two worship gatherings, 9 o'clock and 10.30. So just make sure you mark that, because if you show up for the 10.30 service, or for the, for the 10 o'clock service, you're going to either be really late to the first service, or you're going to be really early, which wouldn't be that bad, to the second service, right? So st- uh, starting tomorrow morning, or starting next Sunday, 9 and 10.30, and as well, we're kicking off a new uh, sermon series that'll go through the whole fall. We're studying together through the book of Hebrews. So if you want to just dive into it early, go ahead, go home, read through the book of Hebrews tonight. It's not that long. You can get through it in one setting. You can make that a habit throughout the fall. You just sit down and read through the book of Hebrews every once in a while. Great book. Great letter. Uh, excited to preach through it. So that's what's coming up in the future. But today, we're going to wrap up this sermon series. And I want to ask you uh, a question, um, which I think will be obvious is just going to be very related to the topic today. Um, what was your favorite car? As you think back over your life, and the various vehicles you've driven, some of them may be very old and junky, some of them newer and nicer. Um, did you have a favorite? I have, I have one. I have a few favorites, but one of my favorites was a black 1998 Jeep Grand Cherokee limited edition. It had leather interior. It had a CD player built in. Come on. And my dad gave me that car. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, I think it was my senior year of high school that he gave it to me. For whatever reason, I just, I just loved that car. You know how you can have a car and it can be kind of utilitarian? I mean, it gets you from point A to B. But then you can have a car and you just feel affection for it in ways that's kind of unreasonable for a car. That's how I felt about my 1998 Jeep Grand Cherokee, limited edition. What about you? Did you have a favorite? As you think about that, just kind of get that image in your mind, and we're going to circle back to it. But as you think about that, here's what we've talked about this summer. We've talked about some movies, like Encanto and Top Gun. We've talked about social media, like TikTok. We had to define TikTok for a few of us so that we knew what it was. Others in the room are like, really? You didn't know what TikTok was? But that's all right, because we're a diverse group of people. And we asked ourselves, we look at popular culture, we look at the messages that come through things like music and movies and social media. Do the messages we hear there match with, do they resonate with, or are they dissonant from? The wisdom that we find in Scripture, specifically the teaching of wisdom literature, a few books in the Old Testament that were written specifically to pass on wisdom to the next generation. And I want to wrap up today by looking at uh, one of the great Proverbs, the beginning of Proverbs chapter 4. And in it, Solomon, um, the author who wrote this, Solomon gives what I think is an appropriate exhortation, an encouragement to us as we wrap up this sermon series. So if you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to read the first nine verses together. If you've got a physical Bible, just open it to about the middle, and you're going to be pretty close. 
If you have a digital Bible, you just scroll and you'll find it. There's only 66 books. You'll find it. It's in the middle. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. It's brilliant. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Pray with me again. Um, God, it's your voice we want to hear. It's your word that we're attending to. Help me to, to get out of the way so that we could all hear what you're doing in our lives. And God, if, if any of us hears your nudge prompting us to respond in some way to you today, I pray that we would not just listen, but we would respond to your call always. Amen. Uh, here's the sermon I want to preach. I want to preach a sermon titled, Get Wisdom at Any Cost. I bet you could figure out where I got that title from. Now, if you were paying close attention, and I know you were, I told you three weeks ago that I was going to preach a sermon today uh, talking a little bit more about this question. What's the relationship between popular culture and biblical wisdom. I'm not really going to talk about that that much this morning, though, because that's not where my study took me. That's not what, whatever. So things change. And so if you were looking forward to that, I'm sorry. If you forgot about it, then we're all good. But I do want to say two quick things. When I asked this question at the beginning of the sermon series, biblical, uh, popular culture, biblical wisdom, what do we do with that? I suggested one thing at the very beginning that I just want to say again. I, I think... Too often in churches, we can get the idea that the teaching of Scripture is in a battle against popular culture. And our mission is to destroy popular culture because it's bad and wrong and evil. And I think that adversarial image is too often unhelpful. And instead, I suggested that the relationship is not adversarial, rather, it's missional. The world of popular culture is the world that we live in. It's the language people speak. It's the morals and values that people imbibe in ourselves. And we are called to be on mission with God to the world. And so it's good and right for us to have some understanding of popular culture. Much like any missionary who travels overseas knows that one of the first things you do is you learn the language. Because if you learn the language that the people speak, you're going to have a more effective ministry. So I think the relationship is not adversarial, but rather it's missional. We should have God's mission in mind always. 
But the second thing I think that, that attending to, being aware of, learning about popular culture does, is it also reminds us that we need biblical wisdom. The fact of the matter is, all of us live our lives based on, standing on the foundation of some sort of teaching or truth. Even in a world where uh, uh, you know, people say there is no truth, it's all relative, that is itself a foundational truth upon which people are standing. So we're all basing our lives on something. The question is always, on what? What's the ground that you're choosing to stand on? And for me, when I enjoy engaging in popular culture in all sorts of ways, music, movies, literature, it reminds me that the foundation must always be biblical wisdom. So I'm going to look at, the, at this section of Proverbs, and I'm going to break it up into three sections, and I've got kind of one big idea for each of the three main sections of the Proverbs. And, and here's my hope. My hope is this. The challenge and exhortation that King Solomon gave to his sons many, many years ago, I hope that we hear it and take it seriously in our lives as well. Is that fair? Are we, is we can, yeah, okay. Head nods, that's good. So here you go, Proverbs 4, um, I'm just going to read them again because they're good, the first four verses. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. I think the big idea of this first um, section, I'm going to suggest the big idea is simply the importance of education. King Solomon is saying that he had a father, and I think by implication, they had a father before him. And education is something, knowledge, wisdom, uh, how to live your life, is something that has been passed down generation and generation. The, the wisdom that Solomon is giving is not something that he just sort of came up with and was like, oh, I've got a good idea. I think I'm going to tell my son this. No, Solomon is sharing wisdom that has been passed down and proven reliable for many Generations, And in fact, when we read scripture, and when we not just read it, but we do the work of rightly understanding it, we know that we're gaining wisdom that has been proven true generation after generation after generation. And we live in a world that loves the new, the fresh, the novel, the never been discovered. And there is a place for that. But with biblical wisdom, we gain something that has been tried and tested and found reliable by many people across the world. Now, I, wanna, I just want to make a, a kind of an observation and do a little bit of an exegetical, um, I don't know if it's a bunny trail, side path, uh, you know, a, a, a second peak off to the side before we get to the main peak. Um, it, it's interesting. It notes, uh, so King Solomon, I said, is writing, and he says, listen, my sons. Now, if you, um, if, you have, if you ever open the Red Bibles that we have in our chairs, you know that in a lot of places um, in Scripture, in the NIV, that, the translation that we use, it'll often change words to say things like sons and daughters or brothers and sisters. We call that gender-accurate language. 
Because in ancient Greek and in ancient Hebrew cultures, sometimes a masculine term is intentionally used to, to uh, uh, refer to a group of both men and women. Kind of like in our um, modern context, you know, we might use the word brother as a, more of a generic gender-neutral term to refer to like, hey, brother, what's up? I don't know. That's, you usually say it, whatever. You get my point. But here Solomon says, my sons. And here's the reason. At that time and in that place, most education was provided only for the male kids. That was the norm of the time. And so Solomon probably was talking to his sons, which is why it says, my sons. However, we know that Scripture has a very clear egalitarian trajectory. That throughout Scripture, men and women are named as equals, treated as equals, and work is done to create more equality in all sorts of realms. In leadership in the church, in education, and the culture around. The church has been famous for bringing gender equality to bear in many different places in the world. And, and here's the point of that little train of thought. When we hear Solomon say, listen, my sons, and, and he was speaking to his kids at that time, it's appropriate for us today to realize that he's not just saying the education of fathers to sons matters. Rather, I think Solomon is, is saying that any person who has an educational influence, a formal educator in a school, uh, a mother or a father in a homeschool, an informal relationship, maybe with an aunt or an uncle, a niece or a nephew. Heck, the educational influence you have just in community and relationship here, I believe that all of that is important to God. And what Solomon is saying here about his specific family is something we should take seriously about every context in which we might be having an educational impact in someone's life. Here's what I take away from these first verses. Uh, the question is, are we, am I, teaching wisdom to all of those upon whom we have a meaningful influence? Because here's what you know. Yeah, I can name, I can point to the places where I know I'm having an influence, like, like it's a specific context. I mean, probably in the way that I'm preaching, I'm having an influence on you. It's pretty clear. You're willing to come and show up and sit down and listen to me talk for a while, and that's a formal, specific place. So we can name that, and we can know that, and we can pay attention to that. We also know that our influence shows up in all sorts of informal ways as well. And it's good and right for us to pay attention to the informal, unplanned, unknown ways that we are having an impact on the lives of others as well. All of us as parents know that our kids are watching us. And we know they're watching us and they're listening to us when suddenly we hear them say a word. And we're like, where'd you get that word from? I don't even need to tell you what the answer to that question is. Because you're laughing already. I was trying to think of an illustration that, that might capture what, what this type of influence is that we pass on to others. And, and I came across a word that I really like, a conduit. A conduit is a channel through which something is conveyed. And if we hear Solomon's challenge to take seriously education, 
He's telling his sons to listen up and pay attention, and he's challenging us to say, how are we doing the same to others? We might ask ourselves, if, if my life is a conduit, what am I channeling? If I have an influence on some kids who are around me, if I have an influence on some coworkers who are around me, if I have some influence on some friends or some family members who are around me, what am I, what am I sending through that conduit? Think about it this way. I was going to have a, a person come up and do this, but I decided to do it with a plant instead. Let's say we're in charge. Let's say we're in charge of taking care of a plant. It's a nice little plant. It's bright. And this is my life. It's apparently duct taped together and a little dirty and beat up, but maybe that's appropriate, right? And I'm in charge of taking care of this plant. So I might say, okay, well, what am I going to send down the channel of my life into this plant? Now, a good option, a good option would be some fresh, clean water. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's see if this works. How do I do this? Should have put it on the other side. Yeah, all right, come on. So this is, this is what I got. Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> and the plant would be grateful. The plant would be refreshed. The plant would be strengthened and encouraged because I'm pouring fresh, clean water through the conduit of my life. I could also, you know, I could pour some cold Pepsi-Cola down the conduit. Now, I mean, it's made out of water. It's mostly water. But there's some other stuff. We're going to find out how this plant does. Maybe I'll leave it here until next week. And I could pour some nice Pepsi-Cola. Mmm, spills off the leaves a little bit. I don't know if I'm harming the plant, but that is definitely going into the soil and it's drinking it, and I'm really not sure what's going to happen to the plant when I give it Pepsi-Cola. I could get the $2 toilet bowl cleaner signature select. It's childproof. Uh, mm. Ooh, there we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if I wanted, I could pour that right down. It takes a little while. It's thick. And I could pour that, and it would. It doesn't even get to the roots because it sticks to the leaves. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Oh, man. Mmm. Wow. I'm going to have to hold this for a while before it gets... Wow, totally not sure what to do about it now. So here's my question. Still going. Here's my question. If I knew someone was going to drink from the other end of the conduit, which is my life, what would I want to pour down it? What would I want to pour down it? Which means I have to pay attention to two different things, right? It's both, what am I pouring out? What is my life sharing? What, what, what nourishment is my life giving? Or possibly what poison is my life giving? 
But also I have to ask the question that comes before the question. It's not just what am I pouring, but what am I drinking? Because inevitably, we know that what we're going to pour out to others is directly related to what we ourselves are drinking. So, first exhortation from King Solomon. Education is so important, and I think it's obvious that it happens everywhere. So if your life is a channel pouring into the lives of others, what are you pouring? And not just what are you pouring, but what are you drinking so that you've got something life-giving to give? So from there, Solomon goes on to what I think is the pretty obvious um, uh, next step. He says, therefore, get wisdom. Get it. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom. And she will protect you. Love her. And she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. The moment we take seriously the influence we have on the lives of people around us, the moment it makes all the sense in the world to tell ourselves every single day, get wisdom. Get wisdom. There's actually um, an alternate translation. Um, Brief note, if you're ever looking in your Bible and there's like a little small letter, like maybe a superscript letter A or something next to a verse, that should direct your eyes down to the bottom of the page, and you'll often find an alternate translation. Because apparently ancient Hebrew is a different language from modern American English, and so sometimes translation is tricky. One of the alternate translations for the beginning of wisdom, one of the alternate translations is wisdom is supreme. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater. But some translators actually think it's not the decision between two different translations, but the first audience might well have understood it as having a double meaning. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, the starting point, the most important first step is, get it. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. The beginning point for getting wisdom is realizing it's supreme. So you got to get it. Turns out that theme shows up all over the place in Scripture, not least of which some of the teachings of Jesus himself seek first the kingdom of God. I bet when Jesus said that, his first audience already had Proverbs memorized and it would have come to their mind. Or when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and bought the field. If you read all of the Proverbs, I don't know why I pointed to that. Uh, If you read all the Proverbs in your Bibles, you'll notice there's a theme that I want to explore for just a minute. There's a theme of um, talking about the importance and the value of wisdom and connecting it with the importance and the value of finding a good spouse. It's an interesting theme. Go read the book of Proverbs. Circle the places where they're put together. There you go. There's a fun little Bible study to do for yourself in the fall. Um, 
But I want to I take that connection and, and scratch at it for a little bit. I remember listening to a, 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 another preacher that was preaching once, and they happened to be preaching to a group of young adults. And um, I remember the preacher was talking about relationships and said something that, that really grabbed me, like it was really memorable to me. And he said, you know, for a lot of people, when you're in the dating season of life, if you're no longer in the dating season of life, go ahead and remember what that was like. Remember the dating season of life. If you're in the dating season of life, then here we go, some free advice just for you. But it, it felt very true to me. He said, you know, a lot of times when you're in the dating season of life, you find yourself asking this question. Is this person the right person for me? Is this the one? Have I found the one? Did I, did I know the one? And the preacher suggested that that question actually might not be the best question. The reason being, it's so easy to get fixated on like, oh, is it the right one? Is it not the right one? What about this? And we can get into these little spirals of mind games, hypothetically speaking. Not that I ever struggled with anything like that, especially in some of my maybe earlier dating relationships. But the preacher goes on and he says, that, that's not the right question. Here's a better question. It's going to be a lot more practical. It's going to give you something to do. It's going to set you on the right path. The better question is, am I becoming the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? I mean, if there is such thing as the right one, the ideal husband, wife, man, woman, whoever you're looking for, is the, if there is such thing as that, that right one that I'm looking for, what are the chances that I am what they are looking for? And if that causes us to take a serious look at our lives and say, maybe, maybe I could change some things, then that's a good thing. It gives us something we can do to move our lives in the right direction. I think the same is true about, true about wisdom. I think one of the risks of talking about popular culture versus biblical wisdom is we can get caught up with a question like, well, what is biblical wisdom and where do I find it and what's the right thing? And we can get into the same sort of spiral stuck on that question when instead, maybe we should ask ourselves, am I living a get wisdom kind of life? If I looked at the ways... If Solomon says, get wisdom, it's always worth it. If I look at the ways I spend my time, if I look at the ways I spend my money, if I look at the, the nature of my intellectual life, my emotional life, my physical life, my spiritual life, the people I hang out with, my relational life, if I looked at all that honestly, could I conclude I am organizing my life? I definitely am. The data supports I'm organizing my life in order to get wisdom? Or would I have to conclude, based on the way I spend my time and my energy and give my focus and give my emotions, I don't know if I could honestly say I would expect to find any wisdom in this life I'm living. <sighs> Sorry, I just, the scripture, it, it, it made, that's what it made me think, and I didn't like it, so I had to pass it on to you. And cause you to ask the question. Solomon says, get wisdom. So we ask ourselves, what am I drinking? And what am I pouring? And when I look across my life, I ask myself, am I actually living a get wisdom kind of life? And we get to the third section. Solomon says, cherish her and she will exalt you. 
Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. I think the message of the third part is pretty obvious. Wisdom is always worth it. The reason he says, whatever it costs, whatever else you have in life, whatever else you give in life, whatever you have to give up in order to gain it, it's always, always worth it. Why? Because wisdom is supreme. In a world full of things that will pass away and prove worthless, wisdom is always worth it. So we just spent the summer asking ourselves, are we letting our hearts and our minds and our relationships and our lives be influenced more by the messages of the world, however haphazard they may be? Or are we letting our lives be influenced by the proven teaching of God through his word in his scripture? And I ask you to consider, as you look at your life, what are you pouring out to others? What am I drinking to nourish myself? If I look honestly at the way I spend my time and my energy and organize my life, can I conclude that that I'm living the get wisdom kind of life? And if I consider that, I need to remember that no matter the cost, getting wisdom is always, always worth it. The only question really becomes, once I realize what I might need to give up in order to get it, the question just becomes... Am I willing to pay that cost? Anytime we read scripture, anytime we come to understand the teaching of God's word and the wisdom therein, we have to ask ourselves, not just, did I get it? But what am I going to do about it? So let me ask you, what's your move going to be? And I've got um, two things I want to challenge you to think about. First of all, If God has in any way tugged at your heart, and you know what I mean, your heart, it's like it feels like there's a little, or maybe it's like a, or maybe it's like a, it could be any of those. If God did that, then I think the critical next step is not just to go, oh, wow, yeah, I should really do something about that. We're all familiar with what happens when I go, I should really do something about that. I will totally do something about that someday. No, the next step is make a plan. It's the fall. Kids are going back to school. They're going to be getting syllabi and they're going to be getting reading lists for their classes and they're going to be, they're basically going to be getting a plan that their teacher worked hard on that is designed to educate them. If you hired yourself to teach yourself wisdom, how long would you keep the job? I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm doing pretty good. Other times, you're fired, right? Right away. Uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. That's what my Googling told me. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Failing to plan is planning to fail. But we all know that just making a plan actually also isn't quite enough because we also have probably been part of an organization or a business or a company somewhere that made a big, beautiful, three-ring binder, glossy, printed, strategic plan, and it immediately went on everybody's shelves and got ignored until five years later when somebody decided they needed to do it again. If you make a plan, you got to follow through. you got to make the plan, and then you got to manage the plan. you got to work it. 
When we make annual goals around here as a church, the first thing I do is I put them on the front page of my planner and every single workday of my life. That's probably a slight exaggeration, but (laughs) most workdays of my life, the first thing I do is I open my planner to the first page and I look at the plans we made. We said, this is what we're trying to do. And then when I turn to the day's to the day's, you know, calendar and to-do list, I go, is anything I'm actually spending my time on moving me forward in this plan? You got to make the plan. You got to manage the plan. And then if we're seeking God's wisdom in our life and we make a plan to do it, and then we actually engage the plan we made, we have to pause every once in a while and reflect on it and say, did it work? Did we make a plan that's actually worth continuing or should we change it? Should we scrap it? Should we bring in some support and help? Here's why I'm starting with this. Um, we've been talking for a number of weeks now. We actually announced it at the beginning of the summer. Uh, a new um, ministry environment that we're creating around here. It's called the Growth Challenge. And I've been asking you for a while, and I'm going to ask you again to consider, would you sign up for the Growth Challenge? It's 16 weeks this fall, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to make a plan for your growth. We're going to give you some resources. We're going to put you through a training that, quite frankly, I think is really good. And you're going to make a plan for how God is seeking to grow you. You could say, mature your wisdom in your life. And then you're going to manage that plan. And you're going to do it in a small group community where you can share with one another, where you can pray for one another, where you can encourage one another. We're going to give you a coach to walk with you so that any questions you might have, the coach is ready to say, yeah, I can help you with that. And then at the end, you're going to reflect on it and say, what did I learn? about how God is growing me into the person God has me be. What did I learn about how to become a person of wisdom? Um, there's QR codes all around the church. There's, um, if you get any of the All Church emails, if you go, just search Growth Challenge Centennial Covenant Church, you'll find the landing page. Um, we've got room for about 50 people. And seriously, consider whether this is the time to make a choice to be more intentional, to commit a little more time to saying, God, how are you Growing me up in my life. Second, um, if make a plan is step one, step two is Pepsi and toilet bowl cleaner stained. Uh, make it count. Um, it's make it count, Sunday. Everybody grab your little, the little quarter sheet, half sheet, whatever size sheet this thing is uh, that's on your chair. Um, here's, here's something that I believe. If... We want to live the get wisdom life. One critical and effective way of doing that is engaging in the life of the church community. I believe participation in the church community is a necessary part of the get wisdom life. That means showing up here on Sunday mornings like you do, but that also means making sure that you're contributing to the growth of others by sharing your gifts, sharing your time, sharing your energy by serving on one of the teams. And we've got four ministry teams that we want to highlight this morning that have specific and critical need for a few more people to fill out those teams. I'm just going to, I'm going to briefly name them. Um, Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, And the reason participation matters is because, like you've heard, in life more is caught than taught. It's not just about reading the right book. It's about putting yourself in the right community. Education is not just the right information. It's putting yourself in the right environment. 
And our ministry teams work hard to be environments of spiritual growth. Um, here's four teens. Children's ministry. I, I, I couldn't overstate the importance and the value of having a positive influence on the faith formation of the kids in this church. Nursery through fifth grade. They have need for just a few more spots. They've already done a ton of awesome work recruiting a lot of amazing people. Children's ministry has need for a few more people to volunteer their times on Sunday morning to work with kids. Student ministry. Middle school students, high school students. This is a pretty high ask. It's a weekly Sunday night commitment to spend time with middle school students and high school students and have a lifelong impact on their faith, on their understanding of their identity, and on who and how they become the person God made them to be. If it's ever crossed your mind that maybe God's called you to work with students, talk to Nikki after the service. The last two are much more small asks, but hugely important. The connection team. The people who, when it's your first Sunday or your 100th Sunday and you walk through the door, they're right there, ready to shake your hand, make you feel welcomed, help you find the nursery if you need it, help you find your Sunday morning connecting hour class if you need it. And also the communion team, which in a little bit is going to come up here and serve communion to us. Here's the thing about these, these teams. The more people that sign up, the less often everybody needs to serve on one of the teams. Currently, the people on both these teams are serving every Sunday, every other Sunday, very, 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 very common. If you call Centennial your home, if you're a member here or if this is your home church, you can sign up for one of these teams. And you might only need to serve, if everybody signs up, you might only need to serve communion once a quarter. If everybody signs up, you might only need to be an usher or greeter once every other month. But it's a powerful way to say, this is, I felt welcomed and now this is my home, so I want to welcome others as well. Um, would you fill this out? All you do, name, phone number, email, circle what you're interested in, and we'll get back to you. There's a basket in the center in the back. Would you fill this out and consider getting involved? I want to invite somebody to come up to just briefly talk, and I realize I didn't grab a handheld mic. Ben, could I get a handheld mic? Um, Adam and Lily Wilson, could you guys come up? Um, Adam and his wife Katie and their kids have been part of the church for a long time. Um, they've got kids in the children's ministry here. And uh, they decided recently, um, Adam and Katie did, to actually Adam and Katie and Lily, yeah, come on in the middle, to, um, to make it count, to get plugged in and serve in children's ministry. And now I'm stalling until the microphone comes that I can give to you. Um, but I just asked, we asked Adam if um, he would come up and share a little bit about his decision-making process um, to kind of get involved. So, so first of all, tell us, um, how are you getting involved in children's ministry? So our family is uh, going to be Hold a on. separate. Give it one more second, and then there we go. There is, yeah. <laughs> so our family, got to do the sound effect. Yeah. Uh, our family is going to volunteer across different levels of children's ministry. So um, I'm going to be volunteering with the first to fifth grade uh, crew, which we happen to have soon. We'll have two in that yeah. section. Um, and then my wife is going to be working with the preschoolers, which we surprisingly have one of those as well. And then? I'm going to be helping with the pre-K to K um, classes. 
Right. So Lily is going to be, in, I think some of the other fifth grade girls and boys are going to be helping out with the pre-K kindergarten class. So, Adam, I happen to know that your life is pretty full right now. You've got a lot going on. Not only teaching full-time at the seminary, but you, you got this, you oversee this giant grant. You're doing this pretty incredible resource project. From what I can tell, you don't have any time to do this. So what, what was your decision-making process to kind of say, you know what, uh, we're going to step up and do it? So Katie and I, we've been at the church for 17 years, and over that time we've done various volunteer things like coffee and um, youth group and children's ministry and church council, things like that. And, and often those are things we did out of, um, one, there was just a need, so there was an ask and we were able to do it. Um, and then other times there's something we felt like uh, it's important for us in our lives not to just be kind of passively hmm. a part of the church but be engaged. Um, at this stage of life, what we're finding is, is this particular um, investment of time has a lot more to do with um, the way we feel like God is, is um, needing to use our family at this stage of life. So this stage of life, as our kids, a couple of them are getting much older, um, we're starting to lose the amount of time that we mm. used to have with them when they were little. And the amount of influence that we have in their lives decreases as the influences outside of our family increase. Mm. And for us, what we've started to recognize is we, we want our family, uh, our center of gravity, to be God in the church. Mm. And, and for our kids especially, for them to have the chance to, one, be involved, which is so fantastic that Lily gets to do that, and then also for us to be involved in, uh, as a family in the, in the church gives our kids a center of gravity, of, of influence of you all and of what God does through this, this building, what we can do uh, through this family. And so that's why this particular volunteer kind yeah. of engagement is, is key, is it, it we're trying to center our family around the church and the families, uh, that's the great. church family. So if someone here were hypothetically thinking about whether or not they should get involved in a ministry team here at the church, hypothetically, what would you say to them? I think in a lot of ways, and I think we probably all know this, um, the sermon kind of illustrates this, life moves forward at a very fast pace. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't always seem like you are orienting yourself around anything. It just feels like you're just swimming or, or sprinting. And, and I think if we can intentionally align our, our schedule and our routines and our patterns around the things that matter most to us, and, and I hope a lot of that centers around here, then I think while at first it might feel like something new and, and stressful, in a lot of ways it just becomes a reorienting of your rhythm around what matters most. And I think it, at first it'll be a new pattern. And it's like every time our kids hit a new stage, we're you know freaking out trying to figure out how to parent that stage. Um, and then you settle in. You settle into a new pattern and then they change. But you know, you, you orient yourself in a way that I think um, it's no longer something that's new and additional. It's actually become something that you look forward to and that you value. And even if it is an energy output, it feeds back into mm. what matters most to you. Well, thanks so much for the way you guys are both getting involved and appreciate you coming up and sharing that bit of your journey. Can we give it up for the Wilsons? So if you feel like God is calling you to get wisdom, here's my two exhortations. Get involved. Sign up. Don't sit back and watch, but get involved. And second, take the challenge. 
whether it's specifically the growth challenge right now in this season or some other intentional way, take the challenge to be intentional about your faith formation. Um, quick story to land the plane. Uh, I was in grad school, and I was driving my black Jeep Grand Cherokee limited edition. And it turns out I was also dating this great girl. And I decided I knew she was the one. And I decided, I'm getting all choked up. It's time to buy a ring. But here's the problem. I was a grad student. I didn't have any money to buy a ring. But I realized something. I could sell my car to buy the ring. So you know what I did? Sold the car. You know what? It was worth it. Not only marrying Micken is always worth it, um, getting wisdom is always worth it, whatever the cost. So get involved. Take the challenge. You might say, whatever you figure out what that cost is, sell the car. You're not going to miss the car. Pray with me. God, I believe that you speak to us. So right now, whatever you're saying, whatever you're saying, God, May each and every one of us attend profoundly to that. May we have the grace to know that not all of us can do everything all the time. Saying no to things is sometimes what you call us to do. But may we also have the courage to know that even if it costs something, quite often the cost is so worth it. Amen.